Section 7 of The Natural History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. The Natural History, Volume 1 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 7. Chapter 14. Why the same stars have different motions. I must first state the cause why the star Venus never recedes from the sun more than 46 degrees, nor Mercury more than 23, while they frequently return to the sun within this distance. As they are situated below the sun, they have both of them their apsides turned in the contrary direction. Their orbits are as much below the earth as those of the stars above mentioned are above it, and therefore they cannot receive it any farther, since the curve of their apsides has no greater longitude. The extreme parts of their apsides therefore align the limits to each of them in the same manner, and compensate, as it were, for the small extent of their longitudes by the great divergence of their latitudes. It may be asked, why do they not always proceed as far as the 46th and 23rd degrees respectively? They in reality do so, but the theory fails us here. For it would appear that the apsides are themselves moved, as they never pass over the sun. When, therefore, they have arrived at the extremities of their orbits on either side, the stars are then supposed to have proceeded to their greatest distance when they have been a certain number of degrees within their orbits they are then supposed to return more rapidly since the extreme point in each is the same and on this account it is that the direction of their motion appears to be changed for the superior planets are carried along the most quickly in their evening setting while these move the most slowly. The former are at their greatest distance from the earth when they move the most slowly, the latter when they move the most quickly. The former are accelerated when nearest to the earth, the latter when at the extremity of the circle. In the former, the rapidity of the motion begins to diminish at their morning risings. In the latter, it begins to increase. The former are retrograde from their morning to their evening station, while Venus is retrograde from the evening to the morning station. She begins to increase her latitude from her morning rising. Her altitude follows the sun from her morning station, her motion being the quickest and her altitude the greatest in her morning setting. Her latitude decreases and her altitude diminishes from her evening rising, she becomes retrograde and at the same time decreases in her altitude from her evening station. Again, the star Mercury, in the same way, mounts up in both directions from his morning rising, and having followed the sun through a space of 15 degrees, he becomes almost stationary for four days. Presently, he diminishes his altitude and recedes from his evening setting to his morning rising. Mercury and the moon are the only planets which descend for the same number of days that they ascend. 
Venus ascends for fifteen days and somewhat more. Saturn and Jupiter descend in twice that number of days, and Mars in four times. So great is the variety of nature. The reason of it is, however, evident, for those planets which are forced up by the vapor of the sun likewise descend with difficulty. Chapter 15. General Laws of the Planets there are many other secrets of nature in these points, as well as the laws to which they are subject, which might be mentioned. For example, the planet Mars, whose course is the most difficult to observe, never becomes stationary when Jupiter is in the trine aspect, very rarely when he is sixty degrees from the sun, which number is one-sixth of the circuit of the heavens nor does he ever rise in the same sign with jupiter except in cancer and leo the star mercury seldom has his evening risings in pisces but very frequently in virgo and his morning risings in libra he has also his morning rising in aquarius very rarely in leo he never becomes retrograde in either taurus or gemini nor until the twenty-fifth degree of cancer the moon makes her double conjunction with the sun in no other sign except gemini while sagittarius is the only sign in which she has sometimes no conjunction at all the old and the new moon are visible on the same day or night in no other sign except aries and indeed it has happened very seldom to any one to have witnessed it from this circumstance it was that the tale of Lencius's quick-sightedness originated. Saturn and Mars are invisible at most for 170 days, Jupiter for 36, or at the least for 10 days less than this, Venus for 69, or at the least for 52, Mercury for 13, or at the most for 18. Chapter 16. The Reason Why the Stars Are of Different Colors The difference of their color depends on the difference in their altitudes, for they acquire a resemblance to those planets into the vapor of which they are carried, the orbit of each tinging those that approach it in each direction. A colder planet renders one that approaches it paler, one more hot renders it redder. A windy planet gives it a lowering aspect, while the sun, at the union of their apsides, or the extremity of their orbits, completely obscures them. Each of the planets has its peculiar color. Saturn is white, Jupiter brilliant, Mars fiery, Lucifer is glowing, Vesper refulgent, Mercury sparkling, the moon mild, the sun, when he rises, is blazing. Afterwards, he becomes radiating. The appearance of the stars, which are fixed in the firmament, is also affected by these causes. At one time, we see a dense cluster of stars around the moon, when she is only half enlightened, and when they are viewed in a serene evening, while at another time, when the moon is full, there are so few to be seen that we wonder whither they are fled. And this is also the case when the rays of the sun or of any of the above-mentioned bodies have dazzled our sight. 
and indeed the moon herself is without doubt differently affected at different times by the rays of the sun when she is entering them the convexity of the heavens rendering them more feeble than when they fall upon her more directly hence when she is at a right angle to the sun she is half enlightened when in the trine aspect she presents an imperfect orb while in opposition she is full again when she is waning she goes through the same gradations and in the same order as the three stars that are superior to the sun chapter seventeen of the motion of the sun and the cause of the irregularity of the days the sun himself is in four different states twice the night is equal to the day in the spring and in the autumn when he is opposed to the centre of the earth in the eighth degree of aries and libra the length of the day and the night is then twice changed when the day increases in length from the winter solstice in the eighth degree of capricorn and afterwards when the night increases in length from the summer solstice in the eighth degree of cancer the cause of this inequality is the obliquity of the zodiac since there is at every moment of time an equal portion of the firmament above and below the horizon but the signs which mount directly upwards when they rise retain the light for a longer space while those that are more oblique pass along more quickly chapter eighteen why thunder is ascribed to jupiter it is not generally known what has been discovered by men who are the most eminent for their learning in consequence of their assiduous observations of the heavens that the fires which fall upon the earth and receive the name of thunderbolts proceed from the three superior stars but principally from the one which is situated in the middle it may perhaps depend upon the superabundance of moisture from the superior orbit communicating with the heat from the inferior which are expelled in this manner and hence it is commonly said the thunderbolts are darted by jupiter and as in burning wood the burnt part is cast off with a crackling noise so does the star throw off this celestial fire bearing the omens of future events even the part which is thrown off not losing its divine operation and this takes place more particularly when the air is in an unsettled state either because the moisture which is then collected excites the greatest quantity of fire or because the air is disturbed as if by the parturition of the pregnant star chapter nineteen of the distances of the stars many persons have attempted to discover the distance of the stars from the earth and they have published as the result that the sun is nineteen times as far from the moon as the moon herself is from the earth pythagoras who was a man of a very sagacious mind computed the distance from the earth to the moon to be one hundred and twenty six thousand furlongs that from her to the sun is double this distance and that it is three times this distance to the twelve signs and this was also the opinion of our countryman gallus sulpicius 
Chapter Twenty of the Harmony of the Stars. Pythagoras, employing the terms that are used in music, sometimes names the distance between the Earth and the Moon a tone. From her to Mercury, he supposes to be half this space, and about the same from him to Venus. From her to the Sun is a tone and a half. From the Sun to Mars is a tone, the same as from the Earth to the Moon. From him there is half a tone to Jupiter, from Jupiter to Saturn also half a tone, and thence a tone and a half to the zodiac. Hence there are seven tones, which he terms the diapason harmony, meaning the whole compass of the notes. In this, Saturn is said to move in the Doric time, Jupiter in the Phrygian, and so forth of the rest but this is a refinement rather amusing than useful chapter twenty one of the dimensions of the world the stadium is equal to one hundred twenty five of our roman paces or six hundred and twenty five feet poseidonus supposes that there is a space of not less than forty stadia round the earth whence the mist winds and clouds proceed Beyond this, he supposes that the air is pure and liquid, consisting of uninterrupted light. From the clouded region to the moon, there is a space of two million of stadia, and thence to the sun of five hundred million. It is in consequence of this space that the sun, notwithstanding his immense magnitude, does not burn the earth. Many persons have imagined that the clouds rise to the height of 900 stadia. These points are not completely made out and are difficult to explain, but we have given the best account of them that has been published, and if we may be allowed in any degree to pursue these investigations, there is one infallible geometrical principle which we cannot reject. Not that we can ascertain the exact dimensions, for to profess to do this would be almost the act of a madman, but that the mind may have some estimate to direct its conjectures. Now it is evident that the orbit through which the sun passes consists of nearly 366 degrees, and that the diameter is always the third part and a little less than the seventh of the circumference. Then taking the half of this, for the earth is placed in the center, it will follow that nearly one-sixth part of the immense space which the mind conceives as constituting the orbit of the sun round the earth will compose his altitude. That of the moon will be one-twelfth part, since her course is so much shorter than that of the sun. She is therefore carried along midway between the sun and the earth. It is astonishing to what an extent the weakness of the mind will proceed, urged on by a little success, as in the above-mentioned instance, to give full scope to its impudence. Thus, having ventured to guess at the space between the sun and the earth, we do the same with respect to the heavens, because he is situated midway between them, so that we may come to know the measure of the whole world in inches, for if the diameter consists of seven parts, there will be twenty-two of the same parts in the circumference, as if we could measure the heavens by a plumb line. The Egyptian calculation, 
which was made out by Petisiris and the Kepsos, supposes that each degree of the lunar orbit, which, as I have said, is the least, consists of little more than 33 stadia. In the very large orbit of Saturn, the number is double. In that of the sun, which, as we have said, is in the middle, we have half the sum of these numbers. And this is indeed a very modest calculation, since if we add to the orbit of Saturn the distance from him to the zodiac, we shall have an infinite number of degrees. Chapter 22 Of the Stars Which Appear Suddenly, or of Comets A few things still remain to be said concerning the world, for stars are suddenly formed in the heavens themselves. Of these there are various kinds. The Greeks name these stars comets. We name them Crichtonae, as if shaggy with bloody locks and surrounded with bristles like hair. Those stars which have a mane hanging down from their lower part like a long beard are named Pogoniae. Those that are named Acontii vibrate like a dart with a very quick motion. It was one of this kind which the Emperor Titus described in his very excellent poem, as having been seen in his fifth consulship. And this was the last of these bodies which has been observed. When they are short and pointed, they are named Zipthei. These are the pale kind. They shine like a sword and are without any rays while we name those discae which being of an amber color and in conformity with their name emit a few rays from their margin only a kind named pythias exhibits the figure of a cask appearing convex and emitting a smoky light the kind named serastius has the appearance of a horn it is like the one which was visible when the greeks fought at salamis Lampadius is like a burning torch. Hippias is like a horse's mane. It has a very rapid motion like the circle revolving on itself. There is also a white comet with silver hair so brilliant that it can scarcely be looked at, exhibiting, as it were, the aspect of the deity in a human form. There are some also that are shaggy, having the appearance of a fleece surrounded by a kind of crown. There was one where the appearance of a mane was changed into that of a spear. It happened in the 109th Olympiad, in the 398th year of the city. The shortest time during which any one of them has been observed to be visible is seven days, the longest 180 days. Chapter 23. Their Nature, Situation, and Species some of them move about in the manner of planets other remain stationary they are almost all of them seen towards the north not indeed in any particular portion of it but generally in that white part of it which has obtained the name of the milky way aristotle informs us that several of them are to be seen at the same time but this as far as i know has not been observed by any one else also that they prognosticate high winds and great heat they are also visible in the winter months and about the south pole but they have no rays proceeding from them there was a dreadful one observed by the ethiopians and the egyptians to which typhon the king of that period gave his own name 
It had a fiery appearance and was twisted like a spiral. Its aspect was hideous, nor was it like a star, but rather like a knot of fire. Sometimes there were hairs attached to the planets and the other stars. Comets are never seen in the western part of the heavens. It is generally regarded as a terrific star, and one not easily expiated, as was the case with the civil commotions in the consulship of Octavius, and also in the war of Pompey and Caesar, and in our own age about the time when Claudius Caesar was poisoned and left the empire to Domitius Nero, and afterwards, while the latter was emperor, there was one which was almost constantly seen and was very frightful. It is thought important to notice towards what part it darts its beams, or from what star it receives its influence, what it resembles, and in what places it shines. If it resembles a flute, it portends something unfavorable respecting music. If it appears in the parts of the signs referred to the secret members, something respecting lewdness of manners, something respecting wit and learning if they form a triangular or quadrilangular figure with the position of some of the fixed stars, and that someone will be poisoned if they appear in the head of either the northern or the southern serpent. Rome is the only place in the whole world where there is a temple dedicated to a comet. It was thought by the late Emperor Augustus to be auspicious to him, from its appearance during the games which he was celebrating in honor of Venus Genetrix, not long after the death of his father Caesar, in the college which was founded by him. He expressed his joy in these terms. During the very time of these games of mine, a hairy star was seen during seven days, in the part of the heavens which is under the great bear, it rose about the eleventh hour of the day, was very bright, and was conspicuous in all parts of the earth. The common people supposed the star to indicate that the soul of Caesar was admitted among the immortal gods, under which designation it was that the star was placed on the bust, which was lately consecrated in the forum. This is what he proclaimed in public, but in secret he rejoiced at this auspicious omen, interpreting it as produced for himself, and to confess the truth it really proved a salutary omen for the world at large. Some persons suppose that those stars are permanent, and that they move through their proper orbits, but that they are only visible when they recede from the sun. Others suppose that they are produced by an accidental vapor, together with the force of fire, and that from this circumstance they are likely to be dissipated. End of section 7